Welcome everyone, you are listening to and perhaps watching Hot Sauce Sports. I am Pease Del Reason. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Terry Tam. How's it going, Terry? How are ya? How are ya? I'm good, man. I'm good. I lost my voice, um, but I sound sexy, so I'm good. I mean, yes. I would say you sound sexy. You also sound um, like you're not doing okay. You, look, you sound tired. You sound ill. I just lost my voice. That's all it is. <laughs> it was it was worse the other day where every second word I wouldn't come out, you know. Yeah, that would have like, been problematic for the podcast for sure. Yeah, no, but I have to like really like push it so like all of it comes out, but it comes out awful. But at least I, I turn people on. That's true. That's true. Uh, my mother-in-law uh, just walked by, and I could see her uh, very very excited, and that reminded me we need to get back to the studio. This is continually driving me crazy. Uh, Eagle, how you doing in the studio? Uh, it's lonely. It's snowy. The lights are still on, so that's good. And I have a lot of hot sauce and a lot of merch. So uh, I'm I'm doing all right, but I miss you guys. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, we have an interview today. We are talking to uh, Habs, Montreal Canadiens insider. Uh, we aren't focused on Montreal sports per se, but we are Montreal. So we're proudly Montrealers. Um, we're Canadians fans, so it's going to be awesome to talk to him. His name is uh, Scott Matla. Uh, uh, he joins us from Habs Eye on the Prize. He's the senior writer there. He's also uh, got a podcast called uh, Locked on Habs. Uh, excited to talk to him. Uh, and Terry, he's not even from Montreal, and he's a Montreal Canadiens fan. It's it's kind of cool. It's one of those things where like you have this experience being a Dallas Cowboys fan, and people that are Yankees fans kind of have this experience too, where like, um, your team is sort of like the team people tend to gravitate a tour, even if they if their if their teams if their cities don't have a team um, and they don't like the team that's closest to them, they tend to gravitate towards sort of like the historical uh, big dog. So it's kind of cool. yeah. It's not it's not the um, I find those uh, the Habs travel really well. Like the Pittsburgh Steelers travel really well, like to the point where they're all over the country. Cowboys kind of same thing. But I find the Habs have are the mo- are the most traveled team in the NHL. Like there's fans from all over the place. Like when I went to I went to watch a game in Anaheim. It was like Habs at Anaheim. Koivu was playing for Anaheim. I wore my Sacco Koivu jersey, but the Habs won. There was so many Habs jerseys in there in uh, yeah. in, the, in the arena, and I'm like, they can't all be here. It's February. It's not like a spring break or something. Like what the hell's going on? And my friend who I was with, who's coincidentally from Montreal, but he lives in California, Habs fan as well. He's like, yeah, there's so many Habs fans around here. Every time we come to watch a game, it's full. Well, Montrealers are uh, a traveling bunch in general. And by the mm-hmm. way, you mentioned the, the jerseys. Um, Montreal Canadiens, uh, I want to say up until last year, I'm not sure if it's still the case this year, but uh, still the number one selling NHL jersey in North America. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's still, you know, I hope that's still the case. I know they, they've had a couple of down years, so hopefully uh, people still love them and are still loyal. But Terry, being a travel is a big deal. Uh, this is usually a week off for me on Hot Sauce Sports. Uh, this is the day where usually I uh, race out of work and get to the airport and take a flight down to Atlanta, Georgia. And for the first time in three years, I will not be in Atlanta for Thanksgiving. It's, uh, you should have told us. We would have given you the day off. Yeah, I know. But I'm here. And I'll just and take memoriam. a day off. Less convenient for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you see, you enjoy American Thanksgiving. I couldn't care less. I'm just a Cowboys fan. I like to watch them play. And that's pretty much it. Actually, I've, that's probably what I'm going to do tomorrow. They play at 4.30. I finish work at 5, so I'm going to watch the game after that. My, my wife and I are celebrators. Like, we like throwing parties. We like going to parties. So like, you know, we love Halloween. We love Christmas. We love Thanksgiving. And this is, like, 
the best time of year for people who get into that kind of stuff, right? So, um, and and it's tough because a lot of her friends, she she grew up in Atlanta, so it's it's tough because um, a lot of her friends specifically are are there, uh, and so it's it's tough to not to not see them. Uh, again, this is this is gonna be one weird year, and um, well, it's in the news, so we'll talk about it then. Because Terry, there's a lot of the news. news fuck you thanks man um so (laughs) i was about to transition to the first topic and forgot that we were still in the intro and didn't realize we had not yet transitioned to the news uh but um i'll I'll throw this in there just because we were talking about it and then we'll go into our first story and then go back to the nfl but it looks as though we're not going to have three nfl games this thursday the steelers and ravens are postponed and it's incredibly difficult to move a game up in the schedule. So it's not as simple as swapping two other teams and, ske- and scheduling that game for that, that uh, Thursday night. Well, it's also too short notice. I mean, I think that it would have been possible, but, you know, uh, maybe move the Cowboys game up. I don't know, but uh, whatever. It is what it is. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because it's Thanksgiving doesn't mean the world stops, right? So, like it's like go fuck yourself if you're complaining about this because you can't watch football on sunday on thursday night then just spend more time with your family and don't look at your phone or your fantasy team that's pretty much it like like being upset about something that's not happening on a day where you're supposed to be thankful for everything you have <laughs> i mean i, I kind of I, mean, I tend to agree yeah but i don't have football peas it does suck it does suck. but like back in the day like when i was younger there was only two two Thursday games, right? So like, this is kind of normally, in a sense, they've only had Thursday night games. Yeah, but that was like pre-prohibition era, so like you didn't drink. Too. I re- I remember drinking toilet wine. Um, speaking I remember of which, going to my local mobster and asking for alcohol <laughs> for fifty-five cents. Speaking of mobsters and toilet wine, um, this is a weird way to transition to a semi-serious topic. Uh, soccer star and legend Diego Man. Madonna passed away today from a heart attack. Um, it's obviously very sad. And what he did as a player was absolutely amazing. And the people who are fans of him are the most rabid soccer fans that exist. Um, but it's he's the type of person that when you find out he died at uh, Eagle, I read 60 and then I read 65 today. Can you double check? 60 the- is correct. 60 is correct. Okay. Um, and it was a major news outlet that said 65, so I, I was surprised that I had such conflicting reports of his age. But I mean, it uh, wasn't even confirmed by major news outlets until much later on in the day, which yeah. led people to believe, like, oh, they're making it up and everything. But no, no, he actually so They were just scrambling to get all the information, and it's clear when you see misprints, like, uh, you know, mis- misquoting a guy's age. But the thing is, like, when you think when you see Diego Maradona dead at 60, um, it's sad, but it's not entirely surprising. It's not surprising uh, thinking about the life that he lived. I mean, in one of my group chats with a few friends of mine, one of them is like, oh, Maradona died. And I was like, well, the guy lived a hell of a life. Like, that's all I can say about the guy. He lived one hell of a life. He didn't stop for anybody, man. The guy did all the drugs possible, drank all the alcohol possible, probably slept with as many women as he could. He lived a life that he didn't give a shit about what you thought. He was the best soccer. He's arguably the best soccer player of all time to this day, and he hasn't played in 40 years. So, I mean, stories about Maradona, 
the only ones I can talk about are soccer. The one story that stands out to me is how popular he was in Italy when he when he played for Lazio uh, for Napoli and Argentina was playing against Italy. Argentina traveled to Italy to play, and the and they were playing in the uh, the stadium in Napoli, whatever it's called. And the fans were cheering for Argentina in Italy against their own country because Maradona was playing for Argentina. That's supposed to show. You. That's, that's how popular he was. He was Michael Jordan for in Italy, basically. Yeah, exactly. He was Michael Jordan of soccer. I mean, yeah. the guy was so polarizing. He's this little five foot six guy with legs bigger than my head and a little afro. He like he won a World Cup. He killed everybody. There's vi- there's videos of him dribbling a soccer ball. But then you look at all the backstories behind him, and it's like, do we celebrate a person like this? Where Eagle and I were talking off camera, and I said, we celebrate the player. No, I'm not celebrating the person. I'm celebrating the player. Yeah, of course. Well, that's the thing. And you need to sort of separate uh, sort of art from artist in a sense. And, and um, not everyone has sort of like the positive late in life turn like Kobe Bryant had where he, he reinvented his image. Yeah. Diego Maradona didn't. He, he was in alcohol dependency programs till uh, as late as two weeks ago. He, uh, he said at one point when he was 53 years old, he said, you know, I'm 53, but I'm basically an 80 year old man because of how I live my life and the experiences I've had, I've, I've lived a full life, you know, it's a, uh, so his, his daughter married, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the player now. His daughter married Iguain. Oh no, Aguero. Sorry. Aguero. Aguero. Yeah, yeah. Aguero's, uh, then they had a son. So this is uh, Maradona's grandson. Maradona's grandson's godfather mm-hmm. is Lionel Messi. So that kid has way too many expectations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That kid, <laughs> can't just go grow up and work at IHOP like he's he's got it like and look people work at IHOP salt of the earth like they, we need you people like we can't live in a world where I gotta make my own pancakes it's <laughs> nonsense um or maybe he jumps right to the end of the life and just does crazy drugs and alcohol <laughs> hey he's like listen I gotta do it man a lot of times that ends up being the case right when dealing with expectations and, and so here's the thing I'm, I'm gonna talk about some stories with Diego Maradona and, and, and a lot of it is and we I feel like we're in the best place to deal with this kind of athlete just because we saw the last dance and we saw how Michael Jordan struggled at some points with the fame. Diego Maradona was like that. Um, yeah. There's a story where he was making a call to, to set up, uh, you know, like a, a meetup to get to get some coke. And it was at 3.40 in the morning. And he, he uh, was fending off a, a, a fan who recognized him in the street. As he's using a payphone to make this to make this call, right? Um, he had he, his training schedule was he would play a game with Syria on Sunday morning, then immediately after the game go on a psychotic drug binge um, till Wednesday, and then Wednesday to Saturday would sober up and then play at the highest level of soccer on Sunday seven days after you know starting the cycle. And that was that was his training. And and by the way, Terry, I know you're jealous of this. I'm jealous of this too. When you see like guys who get old and fat and are still fast, like when when he gained weight, he was still fast. And I, I hate that. Yeah. The hell, how do you do that? How is it possible? You were you were never you were never wild up off of pound of cocaine every morning though. So you can't. It, I don't think it was athletic ability that was making him go fast. I think it was. Uh, I always think it was a third party that was acting. Um, he also uh, had ties with the mob, and there was a famous mobster in Italy who essentially told him that anything he wanted, he would take care of, and was for a long time supplying him 
uh, with women, you know, prostitutes, with, with cocaine, with alcohol, with anything he wanted, all the parties he wanted. And it was a life that from the outside, and especially, you know, we didn't talk about sort of the downsides of this back then, but um, it, it was definitely a life of someone who was not enjoying his time. Uh, it was clear at times he did not enjoy playing in Naples. He didn't enjoy, he didn't enjoy that he couldn't go anywhere. Like, it was the whole thing with Michael Jordan in the last dance, right? Like, he's in a hotel mm-hmm. room and in some city, and he's like, I, I can't leave. I, this is my life. My life is this this one room, you know? But it's the life they chose, you know what I mean? And it's the life that Michael Jordan, I think Michael Jordan chose that a little bit more than Maradona did. I think when Maradona's life was more of like, it was a circumstance of the life he chose where Michael Jordan, that was the life he chose. He's like, I'm not, I'm just going to be the best ever. Or Maradona just was the best ever. He was yeah. effortless for the guy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the guy worked out a day in his life. The uh, thing, the thing too, Diego Maradona, the, the uh, most, most disappointing story uh, I said, this is this is where we get to the territory of really, uh, you know, appreciate appreciate the player, not the man. Um, Maradona was uh, he 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 had an affair with a woman, uh, gave birth to a child uh, that he refused to acknowledge until um, what turned out to be late in his life, and the two ended up being on good terms in, in adulthood. Um, he plays for a small club in Italy uh, currently. His son does, and. Uh, I remember reading a story about how when he was first confronted with this, his wife confronted him saying, listen, there's all these stories, there's all this proof that you obviously cheated and have this whole other family, this whole other situation. And he would still continue to lie and lie. And and the author described it as uh, he just didn't know how to be forthcoming. He didn't know how to be honest. Um, He just... It's like, have- he got, it's like he got away with something for so long yeah. that he just didn't know how to just like admit he was wrong. Because he was so enabled. He was so enabled by yeah. everyone everybody and- around him. Yeah. So it, that, and that's uh, unfortunately a sad end to that story. Uh, but we're here hopefully to uh, make you laugh and make you swear at us and throw stuff because we make fun of your football teams. Uh, here we are. Here we are. Um, but we start with another sad story as Joe Burrows... <laughs> Season comes to an end. Um, Actually, I have another sad story. Breaking news right now. Uh, Marcus Paul, the Cowboys coach, recently was di- was sent to a yeah. hospital and everything. He just passed away. Literally breaking news. Well, I saw um, it like an hour ago. Well, was I saw it now. So. <laughs> what was weird, and, and we talked about how like the major news outlets really waited to get the Maradona story out. Um, a lot of news guy. Sorry? They did not wait for this story. No, um, they they came out talking about uh, the fact that there was a you know the, the Cowboys said they had a non-COVID medical emergency, and then people assumed that uh, Marcus was dead. Um, and and now he is, and now he is. But just family, like imagine being related to him and seeing in the news. As you know, like your dad, your parents, or your your husband, or your your uncle is is being rushed to the hospital, and then you check your computer and see that he's dead, um, and you start to wonder, like, well, did he die in the in the ambulance? Did he did he not make it? Just just a rough rough uh, scenario, and this is why major news outlets wait, and this is why I continuously push in our chats to make sure that we have a decent source when it comes to some stuff like this, because it's, it can it can turn out be it gets awful. contagious. It becomes contagious when. You're, you you see something and it's like, oh, you want to like post it or react to it. And it reminds me of what happened with Kobe Bryant where 
you know, everybody else knew that he died except for his family, his wife. His wife had to find out on TV, which is the pretty shitty thing of the life we live now. I just watched The Social Dilemma, and it looks like it's never going to change. Now, when it comes to Marcus Paul, I mean, Pat McAfee went on his show before the guy died, and he started saying how much he appreciated him and things like that. And, I mean, it's good. I mean, maybe I, don't, I doubt that he heard these words before he passed away. Um, seems like, I mean, I... I don't know if if he saw what people were saying about him, and because people spoke really highly of Marcus Paul, and as a Cowboys fan, you know you hear you, you, like, and I saw one uh, one article, and it said how the players are closest with their strength and conditioning coach, so it's it's tough to it's tough for them to uh, for them to lose that person in their life that motivates them on a daily basis like that, and that's what Pat McAfee was saying, and hopefully he got to see that because. You know, it's not often where you get to hear what people actually think about you in a positive way um, before it's too late. I mean, the the classic example to me is Pat Burns. When Pat Burns passed away the year before, they could have brought him into the Hall of Fame, but for some reason they didn't do it. That year, Gary Bettman got in the Hall of Fame, and you know, it just doesn't make sense to me that they couldn't just say, "Okay, let's make an exception for Pat Burns. We know he's going to pass away. He's terminally ill. Let's put him in." And they they dropped the ball on that. And I think that people need to realize that it's good to celebrate someone's life after he after they pass away, but it's also a lot better if you celebrate their life when they're alive. Yeah, absolutely. It, it happens. It happens all the time. Like people forget that um, you know. Early on in his career, they called Jordan a ball hog, and they, you know, poked at Kobe Bryant's game for for taking too many shots and and being petty with the whole Shaq thing. And people poke at LeBron like we don't, we never appreciate greatness in the moment. We only take send, advantage of the things you have. Exactly, I, I you know, I, we always say it all the time: enjoy, enjoy the fact that you get to see greatness. We can. I, I, I hate on LeBron because of what he does on Twitter. Like anytime somebody does something good, he's like, oh, that's my brother, man. Like he just jumps on the fame of other people. And I know that knock on wood, when he passes away, I'll be like, that guy, he's a good guy. He's, he is a good guy. You know what I mean? Like he is a good guy, but I hate on him for little things like that. You know, for sure. Uh, yeah. The Joe Burrow injury, uh, cause you mentioned Twitter, Terry. Um, he, I saw, I got a tweet basically saying, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, injured, um, will not return. And then five minutes later, his tweet said something to the effect of, um, well, I'll see you guys next year. Um, you can't get rid of me that easily. Uh, you know, and, and fist emoji. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's crazy that literally minutes after he left the game, he's already, he's already texting that. But it was, it was a pretty awful injury. We saw it. Uh, he, he has a whole bunch of torn ligaments in his knee. Uh, most notably, uh, his ACL. Uh, doctors usually can tell on site if the ACL is torn. They just use the MRI to confirm it in most cases. Uh, but it was very clear he had torn his ACL. Uh, and then they just waited for the swelling to go down to determine how many other ligaments uh, were injured. And it's it's a mess. Uh, but the good news for him is um, a very high-profile quarterback uh, suffered a similar injury. And came back and won several Super Bowls, and that gentleman is Tom Brady. So yeah. uh, it's not that sentence that used to be. Uh, medical science has come a long way, and you know, hopefully, it gets better. But it looks like Terry he might not even be back for next football season. So what they're saying is, is that he'll be back like mid, like a full full year. So mid 20, 2021. If I were the Bengals, why, like I wouldn't even bring him in next year. 
You know what I mean? Not like until he, you fix your offensive line, that's for sure. Well, I mean, that's the, they, they got to go draft. Pro, they will 100% draft a left tackle this year. They will 100% draft an offensive lineman in the first, second, and third round. There's no doubt that they're going to do that if they're a smarter organization, which, I mean, I don't know the front they office that well, so I can't tell you. They haven't been. But, you know, logically, they should go out and protect your investment. And and I think that if they don't, it's Joe Burrow should be like, what the fuck are you guys doing, man? You just literally saw me die out here. So, also... What the fuck is happening at FedEx Field? Why do all these terrible knee injuries happen? Like and like they're all colliding, right? Like it's not it's not the turf or anything because like there are injuries that happen due to contact. Yeah. Um, it just seems like crazy bad luck. It, it, it's the lighting, you know. It throws you off. You don't know where you're going. No, but it's just it's it's. I think it's not necessarily FedEx Field. I think it's just the Bengals. You know what I mean? I think the they're called the Bungles for a reason because it's just I know, but it's the field where Kyle Allen got hurt. It's the field where uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Alex Smith got hurt. Like all within like a, a one year span, all of them with terrible, terrible season-ending knee injuries. Um, the Browns they have some sort of curse on them as well because the last three home games have been basically been played in tornadoes. Their team is literally caca. Yeah, but literally, like Browns are caca. Watching the games are tough because when it's raining and it's got that kind of wind, yeah, you know, it's, it's not a high-scoring game. But the Browns uniform looks so good when it's dirty. The, like, the thing has, is, the Browns uniform is the nicest uniform in sports. I've always said it. The all-white with the, the, the orange stripes and a little bit of brown tint, the orange helmet, beautiful. The all-brown, the way they change their brown, it's like a really dark, so it's almost black. It's beautiful. Yeah. The Browns uniform is top of the line. And the Chargers. I love the Chargers. I love it in a rainy, sloppy mess. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, really, it, fits, it, sort of fits it, with fits their, it fits their organization that's so shit and muddy and garbage. <laughs> it's like, it's like um, do I feel like going out today? Nah, it's raining. Do I feel like watching the Browns? Nah, it's Cleveland. Same all, the, all the Browns remind me of is that I lost my fantasy game. My, I was last place in one of my fantasy leagues, and I'm on a two-game winning streak. And if I had won this week, it would have put me into like – Eighth place, so two spots out of out of the uh, out of the playoffs, and I lost by nine points because I put Carson Wentz in instead of Ryan Tannehill at twelve fifty nine on Sunday, uh, last minute change, and Tannehill got eleven more points than Carson Wentz did, and I'm a fucking idiot for trusting the Eagles. Yeah, that's fair. The Eagles got smoked by well, smoked. They, their defense destroyed Carson Wentz this year. By uh, the Browns' defense destroyed Carson Wentz this week. You know that's that's the curse on Joe Burrow. Actually, if he can come back and be Carson Wentz, that's that's his potential future. Right. I there. don't think I don't think so. I mean, listen. I mean, we can bring up the old and I actually thought about it today. We can bring up the old Nate Taylor interview, like from like episode five or six, whenever it was when we had Nate Taylor on the uh, uh, head scout for the Ottawa. The Ottawa GGs, uh, University of Ottawa GGs, uh, DB coach as well. They're a great guy. Uh, we can bring back that old that old tape where he, me and him were. I think you were you were agreeing with it as well, Pease, where he was saying is that Wentz is the guy. Like if Wentz didn't get injured that year, he's an MVP, and they probably they might not win the Super Bowl, but he's an MVP. And we just haven't seen that from Wentz this year. And I, I'm still hoping that he does well, but it's just it's it's so unfortunate that the guy just he just sucks, man. But he also has no well, fucking. They don't have to, Terry. Like like he has no help. All the injuries, whatever. He still threw for like a billion yards, and he didn't he set a record for most receivers over 500 yards. Like, yeah, he was out there, he was finding them. And this season, it's unwatchable. Like, it's coaching. 
I get coaching because coaching isn't just X's and O's. Coaching is you got to coach your player, and when it's not necessarily you're coaching a receiving core, you're coaching one specific player, one player. He's there's something that's not working with him, and they haven't fixed it, and it's on the coaching staff to fix it. You can't just because he's a second overall pick doesn't mean that he's going to figure it out on his own. I'm sure that Lamar Jackson gets a lot of extra film uh, film study ta- uh, tape with his quarterback coach and his offensive coordinators. I'm sure that I I, I just hope I hope. That Doug Peterson is giving me giving him the extra attention he deserves, and if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. They drafted they drafted a quarterback in the second round last year. I think we saw. Um, and they coaching, have Jake I think we saw an interesting coaching situation play out Monday night. Actually, just since you mentioned coaching, Terry, I always said that you know, like Tom Brady is great, no matter who was his coach. But I think we saw the true value in Bill Belichick because. Bill Belichick reinvented the Patriots two or three times while Brady was there and reinvented their offense. And look, obviously their offense still isn't great with Cam Newton, but it's a different offense completely than what they had with Tom Brady. And um, now Brady finds himself surrounded with all this talent in in Tampa. And you could see the visible difference of what McVay does with Goff to put him in good situations. And Bruce Arians just basically saying, this is our system. Tom, if you can't run it, then what's wrong with you? Like, you, you got to be able to do this, man. And there's nights where it works, and there's nights where Tom Brady looks like an old-ass Tom Brady. Monday night was old-ass Tom Brady. It was. Uh, Tom Brady did not look great. I mean, there was that pick in, in the fourth quarter right down the middle. I don't know what the fuck was going on there. But the Rams the Rams are a good defense. And I think that I think that people are, are highlighting the fact that Tom Brady didn't play well. Well, we're not highlighting the fact that Sean McVay has really brought this team back to Super Bowl contenders. And I'm I'm saying that honestly, I think that their running game is unreal. The they have like a one two three punch in that running game. The receiving core is really good. I mean, Josh Reynolds is like a nice third third uh, third receiver. You got Cup out there. Higby is a sick tight end. Their offensive line looks like it's it's doing well. Jared Goff, you know, he's not going to throw you 35 touchdowns a year, but he's going to do well enough on a running system. And their defense is playing lights out right now. Jalen Ramsey has legit re- re- revolutionized his his he's changed his whole perception. When he was at Jacksonville and he was acting like a fucking idiot, everybody's like this guy's done it happens all the time with corners he gets paid and when people corners get paid they usually suck right after he gets paid and he's been playing lights out he's been shutting down most number one receivers that he's been playing and he's been locked up against and i'm a huge 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 fan of the rams this year i think that they're the best team in the nfc west and i i would have thought they were third best going to the season I think, I think I Sean McVay does a good job at making golf decision-making easy, right? Exactly. He holds the ball for three seconds or less almost every play, which means there's no pressure getting to him. He dumps it off in an easy read because he can see two, three guys in one single read and knows where to go. And every now and then, they call a deep play when everyone's cheating up on the line for a small little thing, and Cooper Cup escapes and gets 40 yards on that one play. Right? How good is Cooper Cup, though? He's actually underrated. Oh, yeah. man. Fuck, it was, that it was, guy came uh, out of nowhere. I can't remember who it was. It was an NFL re- receiver. Oh, I think it was Devontae Adams who basically said, like, everyone's sleeping on Cooper Cup because yeah. he's, he's that good. Absolutely. Because um, he's white. It's because he's white. I, I you guess. Don't, you, know, you can't respect white receivers. Ed McCaffrey, man. Love me, love me some Ed McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey, Ricky Prohl, Wayne Cravet. <laughs> yeah, we, okay. That's fair. Uh, uh, Wayne, Cravet, Wayne Cravet, I hated because he was a Jet. Um, also so, because he didn't wear gloves. Like, who the fuck you? Yeah, that was a big <laughs> Walker guy. Loved Wes Walker. Um, so, Terry, we thought we were going to see the return of James Winston, so I got all my gambling preps 
ready early in the week. I was like, oh, it's prop bet week time. I can't wait. Jameis Winston is the most fun athlete to gamble on. And then Sean McVay surprised everyone Thursday morning says, nope, Taysom Hill's the starter. And, of course, we all thought to ourselves, hmm, Sean Payton, is this fuckery? No, it was not fuckery. Taysom Hill started the game and actually looked – well, I mean – he looked like a better version of Tim Tebow. So the thing about Taysom Hill is, one, they paid him, so they got to start him. And I think that he's, like mean, he's been – Well, so you yeah, don't but, have to start him. Well, the reason why – Politics is going to suck. Exactly. Well, the reason why they had to start him is because he's been telling everybody he deserves to be a starter. So what they did was, is like, listen, we're going to put you in. <laughs> if you suck – you're done. Like you have one chance, and that's what happened. And he just showed them. He's like, I can do so many different things that just throw the ball. Just give me the fucking ball, and I'll be able to do it. James Winston. I mean, as much as we love James Winston, I don't think he would have done anything this week. No, um, I don't think so either. Uh, but that said, one of the things Taysom Hill did, did was underthrow a ball so severely to Emmanuel Sanders that the defender had no idea where the ball was. And Emmanuel Sanders ran back and dove back to catch the ball. It was the ugliest, prettiest play I've ever seen. Um, it be pretty. I like Taysom Hill. I mean, I think he played extremely well. I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I even wrote an article about how he's like a Swiss Army knife. People like to call him that, and he's he's great. I mean, but they paid him, and I think that he deserves the amount of work that he's done, the amount of the amount of points that he's gotten, the amount of fourth downs he's made, the amount of big plays he's made. I think he earned the chance to get the starting, the starting spot. You say earned, but prior to this, um, do you know how many completions he had in a single game? Like, what his maximum, what his most amount of completions in a single game was? Oh no, no. What I'm saying is his total body work. I know that he's not really uh, accurate. He had never played a game where he completed multiple passes. That's crazy. That's insane, right? And like to go there and win the game, and um, it was. Well, he's not there to throw though. He's there to run and do crazy shit and catch touchdowns. That's what he's there for. Absolutely. How does Absolutely. it work fantasy wise? Because quarterbacks can't get. Uh, receiving touchdowns, right? Uh, they can if they catch a touchdown. No, because well, I mean, maybe it's the the way your league works. But I remember, I remember who did I have? I, I had a quarterback, and he caught a touchdown. I think I had Wentz, and he caught a touchdown, and I didn't get the points because in my league, the quarterback does not get receiving points. Ah, that's fucked up. No, fix it. he was also at the beginning of the league. The week was allowed to be a tight end in some leagues. Okay. Fantasy leagues, which is the weirdest thing, because I don't even think he was actually a tight end. I thought he was more of a running H back. H back. H back. That's it. He's usually in the backfield, right? So, um, but yeah, he was. So imagine not having a tight end because all tight ends are garbage in fantasy, and then you get a guy who puts up like you know twenty six points or whatever he put up. Just nonsense. Just nonsense week. Um, it was fun though. I, I thoroughly did enjoy it. Um, the, the Patriots are now below 500 through 10 games for the first time since the year 2000. Good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to muster up some bad time feels for them because, like... I feel bad for Cam a bit. I feel bad for Cam because, you know, I mean, you and I were super high on him, and I'm still, I, th I still think he's very capable... And I just don't think that they have the, 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 the receiving core around him or the running game hasn't looked as good as it usually has. James White's been really not that impressive this year. I know him as a fa I know because I'm a fantasy owner of Jason, James White in three leagues, but it, which I maybe I should drop him. Uh, yeah. but <laughs> Cam Newton, he just needs more weapons, but it, I don't know what's going on. Maybe 
is it too complex for him? Is he just not reading? Is it just a little too slow for him because you know he moves so fast? I don't know what it is with Cameron, but I'm still I, high on him. I hope that he does well. I think the team is a bad team. Like they, they yeah. had the they had the most COVID uh, uh, they had the most COVID uh, opt outs before the season started. He himself missed the game from COVID, and who they knows? They lost their best defensive player too. They lost their best. Dante Hataya. And there's by the way there was t- rumors that he's been talking about retirement um after having said this the season um the, the the middle linebacker when you think of for example mike Vrabel, and we see what a great job he's done not only as a player but even as a coach just his understanding of the game we see that bill belichick's middle linebacker is so important it was teddy brewski before that it was mike Vrabel, and and, and then dr hightower and we see how important that is and those guys are gone They're, those guys are not there the is he, is he retiring like Gronkowski retired? Then all of a sudden he's going to be a buck next year? I don't think the Bucks need more players. <laughs> like I think. They're... Oh man! One last thing on the Bucks, and we'll move on to the next topic, Terry. But um, have you ever seen anyone who is a less natural player than Leonard Fournette? Everything he does just looks awkward. Like he had three drops in that game, and yeah. he just—he seems like he can't readjust his body. Like he's such a good athlete, but everything he does just looks awkward it just it seems like if it doesn't come easy to him it's not going to work out if it's not like in front of them if he has to make like an adjustment of some sorts like it just it's not going to happen um anthony edwards made perhaps his first mistake as an nba pro he uh he considers himself to be a better rapper than damon lillard i mean it's tough because damon lillard is probably number one rapper in nba history so kobe's italian rapper Garbage. Italian so, rap. He did an English rap too. It was brutal. Yeah, he's Kobe was a very, very good basketball player. Rest in peace. That is all. Uh, not a not a great rapper. Dame Dalla is is he's good. Like he's. I remember being very skeptical. I was like, oh, he's probably good for a um, rapper for a basketball player. For a basketball player, but no, he's actually quite good. And I, I was expecting like when Shaq was in Shazam, where. That whole movie was put together to give him a rap career, yeah. and it is it is hilariously bad. You need to you need to rewatch it if you haven't seen it in a while. Uh, um, Shazam! I haven't watched it since I was probably like fourteen. Correct, same. Um, I rewatched it after watching uh, Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man. I was going for, we we're going for bad movies one night, like the best bad movies. How to get so, burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? <laughs> Tell me! Oh no, oh. not the bees! Another oh, bad. I'm basically Nicolas Cage in this movie. And another bad movie was Mr. Wrong with Ellen DeGeneres and the oh. and what was his name? Brian. No. <sighs> Mr. Eagle, Mr. Wrong. Who was the guy in Mr. Wrong? Awful movie. I 25 years ago I watched this movie. Awful. Awful. That's uh, yeah. It, it, it is pretty bad. I, I remember Bill seeing Pullman. Bill Pullman. There you go. Oh, Bill Pullman. <laughs> um, so there's been a couple of signings because the, the trades seem to be Winding down. Uh, Bam Adebayo gets the Supermax with Miami Heat. Uh, a lot of escalators in that contract, but it, that was expected. I think no matter what they do, they, we know they want to add a piece. I think no matter what they do, Bam Adebayo is part of that, their plans. And it was clear to me that when he went out, the Miami Heat were not a competitive team in the finals. They couldn't compete with the size. I mean, I think that's what we saw, right? We, we spoke about it a few times, and I think that it was pretty obvious that Bam was 
really missed. And even when he came back, he wasn't one hundred percent. And you saw that, you know, as much he couldn't do, he couldn't do anything. And uh, I, th- I think that was their most important signing in the offseason is to is get this guy signed. Let's keep him for a long time, develop through him. If we made it to the finals with this roster, we can make it to the finals. We just need to bring maybe one more piece in and help the rest of the guys out. And it's a good signing, man. I'm a big fan of Bam. There was a special uh, interest piece about him during the season. Um, someone on ESPN wrote an article about Bam Adebayo. And it talked about his, his pre-draft workout with the Heat. And he was insulted by Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra's conditioning test. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, what do you think I am? You think I can't do this? And like, this show is brought to you by Mike's BBQ Rub, home of the best rubs in town and La Salle's barbecue sauce. Peas. Just like Rubbercraft, I can't resist a good rub down, and Mike's barbecue sauce is the best rub down in town. So visit Mike's BBQ Rub, MTL.com, and use Hot Sauce 10 promo code for 10% off on all individual bottles. That's Hot Sauce 10 for 10% off, and don't forget to rub your meat peas. Welcome back, everyone, as we record this show, obviously in order. Uh, we are now joined by Scott Malta. Scott comes to us via uh, his own podcast, of course. He's the co-host for Lockdown Canadians and also senior writer for Habs Eye on the Prize. My, where I start is uh, how crazy does it make you uh, when you're watching an English broadcast of the Habs or playing NHL and they keep referring to Montreal Canadiens? <laughs> it it is my favorite part about NHL games is that it's like oh here's this player and it's like you're you're not even in the same stratosphere as what this name actually is or some of these other broadcasts and it's like they give you a pronunciation guide like come on you can do this I know you can do this you're paid to do this so uh, funny it's coming from the guy who pronounced your last name wrong Scott <laughs> I've become so used to that it, since I've started writing and hosting shows I've just. If people get it right, I'm more shocked than when people get it wrong these yeah. days. So, oh, Matla. Matla. Yeah, there oh, it is. All right. It was intentional, right? It was to set up the joke. Yes. Exactly. Totally oh, no, your, name, your name is now Scott Malta. So, um, thank you. You can inform your parents. Um, and it's a good week to do it because it is American Thanksgiving. Scott, uh, do you do anything particular to celebrate the holiday or is it just. Another day for you. Uh, well, I've just been working nonstop. So I work in a grocery store chain. I run the beer shop there. So the past week has been nonstop. I left today and I just I, I peeled out of the parking lot and I'm like, I got a couple of days off and I am not going to look back and worry about it right now. Everyone who's doing their last minute shopping, that's your problem. I, I'm done. I, let me go relax. Let me have Thanksgiving dinner with my girlfriend and my parents and just, you know, that's all I need. A couple of days to unwind after a hectic week. Uh, Later, you're going to get our uh, our power rankings of uh, Thanksgiving sides. We'll talk about that uh, when we get to the rapid fire. But for now, Terry, you had a question. Well, I wanted to ask Scott what his side was. We're not going to reveal what ours are until the end. So, no, Scott, okay. what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? I am not a complicated man. I do love a nice green bean casserole, and I do love mashed potatoes and gravy. I am a very simple person, so. So as much as I'm a I'm a poutine addict, like addict beyond belief, to the point where I had to cut myself off until the end of the year, I do not eat, have, have any form of gravy on Thanksgiving. Zero. Really? I like my, I like the skin of the turkey. I like the stuffing that my mom makes. I like the yams, the mashed potatoes, um, but I'm not a big uh, cranberries. Throw them out. I don't care, but I'm not a big gravy guy on Thanksgiving. But then, is it white meat only, or like what do you do? 
I take the skin. I eat all the brown uh, meat from the turkey. From the turkey, because turkey is very dry, right? It's not. Nah, it's not it's really... Your mom doesn't want to make a turkey. I don't, I don't know how to. It's break not my mom. Turkey. My uncle makes a turkey. <laughs> your uncle, your uncle, and your mom are terrible cooks. I don't know. Awful, how to awful human beings, also. So. <laughs> I remember reading that somewhere. It might have been my own Twitter feed. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a big drippings guy. Like I don't like the, the you know, I like gravy. I like gravy on cuisine, like you know, Terry. I like, I like, I like thick gravy in a lot of things. But for me, just the thin drippings from the pan on my turkey, on my mashed potatoes, I love that. That's my thing. Uh, so Scott, I mean, uh, Habs fans here, all of us are um, season ticket holders. Um, finally, some life. I think we have in the off season. I think Bergevin did a pretty good job so far this in the off season. Uh, I've always been a Bergevin guy. You know, I know this, the that the city is actually split in half. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I love the guys, biceps and all. Uh, what do you think he's? How do you think he's done so far? And um, what can we expect from the season? I'm really impressed with the work that uh, Mark Bergevin had this off season. He got guys like Jeff Petrie and Brendan Gallagher under long term contracts. He brought in someone to help solidify the defense with that physicality of Joel Edmondson. And then he got his younger guys, Lucas Vedemo and Jake Evans are back under contract. And then he, you know, he took a chance. He traded for Josh Anderson, but it looked looking at what Anderson does is that he's the kind of guy that this team needs to help create space and time for their other players on there. And then grabbing to Foley for the contract he, he did is nothing short of probably the best move in free agency that we've seen so far. And then that's not to say that getting Jake Allen to be Carey Price's backup and take games off of Price's plate so he's not starting 65 games a year in, in you know his late in his mid 30s there. Everything Bergevin did seems to be perfect for what this team needed. He saw the issues, addressed them, and now this team is where it hopefully needs to be. And Claude Julian has his pieces now. If we if they play like they did in the playoffs with these new pieces here that the team has the recipe for success now. They just got to go out and execute it. Uh, Pease always mentions when when they signed Gallagher, Pease is the first one he told me that's the most tradable contract we have at this point, you know? I, I look at that, and it's it's tremendously tradable. It, everyone talks about how he finally got paid, and he's still somehow underpaid for what he does for this team. And it might be the most tradable contract they have. That doesn't mean they're going to ever trade that contract. So, if the price is right, I'm wrong, Scott. Just I, uh, I'm not as huge a hockey guy as as the other guys. Uh, but I'm big in CBAs and and contracts for some reason. I'm weird. But uh, when I saw it, I was like, somebody has to be. So if this doesn't work out, they can get they can get them off the books at the end of the contract, and it won't hurt. There isn't a team in the NHL that wouldn't look at Brendan Gallagher at this current contract and go, yeah, absolutely. Like, exactly. if you were to turn down that kind of deal for a player like Brendan Gallagher, you should be, you know, marched out of your arena that you work at and thrown onto the street because you'd be absolutely out of your mind to not try and take on a contract like that, even, you know, for the length that it is. So I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I like I like the moves Brendan uh, made in the offseason. It pains me to say it. Um, but just so I have ammunition when I go after Terry, uh, what are what's the move do you think that's not going to work that he made in the offseason? The only move that I've looked at in this offseason that I cannot fully, you know, kind of find my peace with is Joel Edmondson right now, is that I understand the thought behind it, 
But I look at how well Brett Kulak has played in the playoffs and alongside Jeff Petrie. I look at Alexander Romanov coming up. I look at Matthias Norlinder in Sweden. I look at Jaden Struble and I look at Jordan Harris, who are all players who are on the cusp of being pro in the next couple of years, Norlinder especially. And now Edmondson is there. Romanov is here. Kulak is here. Mete is here. Uh, Sherratt is here. There's a lot of shuffling that has to go around. And I look at the style Edmondson plays, and I wonder how much that's going to work in the modern NHL, which physicality is a key thing, but you have to be able to also play at both ends of the ice at least a little bit. And like Ben Schrott proved me wrong this past year, and I want Edmondson to do the same just so I'm being entirely fair to him. I'm way open to being proven wrong here. It's just the one that I can't fully wrestle with in my head to make sense of right now. And Joel Edmondson, his contract, we talked about a tradable contract at three and a half for, for the next four years. I mean, I think that's a tradable contract for a contender looking for maybe a big body in a couple of years if the Habs aren't in or whatever the case may be because of, because we might not have the space for him, like you said. I mean, there's also we also drafted Gooley. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening that that are, that align to the point where Joel Edmondson might not finish his contract here. You know what I mean? And and that's that's what I'm looking at now. And I think that yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I like the player. The player is fine. You know what I mean? He's a good player. He's solid. He's big. But I do I, I kind of agree with you on that where it is especially nowadays in hockey, it's a two way game. And if you can't play that two way game, you're not going to last long in the NHL. I do think that Edmondson brings some valuable or valuable pieces to the defense. Like we said, um when the Athletic and I believe Eric Engels talked to other uh, teams and players, they said playing Sherratt and Weber was awful. And just watching it look like it was awful. And now they're adding another body like that who, you know, relishes that style of play. And maybe that fits and gives Jeff Petrie more space to operate in a stay-at-home option so he can be more aggressive. Or, you know, if he's bumped down a pair to, you know, play with one of the younger guys, he can be that mentoring thing. There may be more there to it. And like you said, the contract is tradable. There are always going to be teams looking for that big physical guy. Like the Lightning traded for Luke Shen and have traded for Zach Bogosian or signed Zach Bogosian. Teams are always looking for that. It's just a matter of whether the price is right. And at that contract, you're you're not wrong. The, the deal is definitely there to be done if that time should ever come. That's it. Exactly. I mean, so – as much as I'm excited about the future, I'm very excited about what we can do with Caulfield, whereas Alex, the intern, calls him Goldfield. Um, what? <laughs> the worst. What, <laughs> we love him, but he's the worst. Uh, what are your expectations of Caulfield? Is it this year? Are we looking at next year? What are we looking at? I th Obviously, I think depending on how the season goes in the Big Ten, because he's had a hell of a week this week. Four goals, two assists. He's Big Ten Player of the Week after a slow start, and he's just... He scored that first goal, and it was gorgeous. And then last night he had a hat trick against Penn State, and he looks like the guy that everyone expected this year. He had a slow start, and then he took off, which uh, David St. Louis, who does our prospect stuff, was actually writing an article about you know why he isn't scoring, but it's not a bad thing. It was the same thing with Jesperi Kotkaniemi over in Finland, that he wasn't scoring, but he was playing well. Caulfield, I think, is a year away. I think he's going to make a short stop in the AHL just to adjust to the professional game because there's always that little adjustment period and then he'll be right to the NHL. His shot's NHL ready. It's just a matter of developing the other facets and that's what he's been working on this year, watching him play as much as I have. His game is a lot better at both ends of the ice. His playmaking's very good. He's far and away the best player on his team and now he's just got to keep improving on those skills and I think he's going to be a lot more than just scoring goals at the NHL level whenever he does get here. 
Absolutely. Uh, Scott, last time the Habs won the Stanley Cup, I was not old enough to remember it. Um, is this the window that we have before my kids are born? I mean, until the next chance or whatever it is. So, what's your what's your thought in terms of you know, is it a three year window? Do we got to do it now? Maybe next year? Can we stretch a little bit longer? Like, what's your thoughts? I think you've got about three to th maybe four years in this window. Looking at Bergevin's offseason is this is his I'm going for it now. I have Price still playing well. Weber is still a very reliable defenseman. Petrie's very good. Uh, you have Deneau, Tatar, and Gallagher who are all playing extremely well together. And you have these other young pieces behind them who are just starting to hit their stride or hitting their you know first level like Suzuki and Kotkaniemi. You have Caulfield behind him and the younger defensemen. But most of them are still unproven beyond one NHL season. I think in the next few years, the Canadians are going to go for it. And I think Mark Bergevin knows that they kind of have to go for it. A lot of his veteran players talked about wanting to win and they want to do what they can to win on this team. Gallagher and Petrie said that specifically. I think the next three years are going to be them going for it. And if it doesn't turn out well, you're going to see the Canadians actually go full rebuild. And I don't think Mark Bergevin will be at the helm for that this time, though. Are you? Do you live in Montreal? No. I actually live in New York. I live in Rochester, so in I'm Rochester. not a Canadian. Oh, you're not a Canadian? I thought you were from, like, the Maritimes or something. I, I wish I was from the Maritimes, believe <laughs> me. But, no, I live in a good old New York state there, so I'm about an hour and a half from the Ontario border. From I've, where been I live. I've actually I've been, been to Rochester, and yeah. I will say uh, it is the Maritimes of America. Nope, it is absolutely <laughs> not. Rochester, <laughs> no offense to you, Scott Mat Matla. We're not going to change your name today. But Rochester is probably the armpit of America. <laughs> no, that's New Jersey. New Jersey is the armpit of America. Come on. <laughs> Everyone knows that. No, no, but Rochester <laughs> Laval, I, I, the Laval of America. I ran a hockey tournament in Rochester, and um, it was the first time I ever went. I was also like 20 years old. It was like 12 years ago, 14 years ago. And uh, it was – I was I – was, uh, shocked because it was the first time I had seen that type. It was just – it was very different to me. I didn't expect to see that. I thought I was going to see Buffalo. You know, because the cause the guys we organized it with said we're going to Buffalo, and then I was like, okay, but this isn't Buffalo. No, but you know, perfectly nice. They had a few good <laughs> restaurants. Um, the, uh, much I will say, when when I drove into Buffalo, I actually saw the largest American flag I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> and, and there's a giant a giant sign saying Buffalo, an all America city, and I was like. Yeah, this is kind of cool. This is this is like <laughs> what you see on TV as what America is. That's what that's what it was. It was it was so, kind of cool. So my question was because we're in Montreal, right? So the the rebuild here will never happen. I mean, the media here. I, I take it since you're from New York, you don't speak French. The media here will never allow a rebuild. The media controls the team more than anything than any other sports organization. It's the the Cowboys. The Yankees and the Canadians, where the media controls the team. Well, and, those teams are those teams in, the, in their respective league, right? Like the Canadians, yeah. based on their history, are the Yankees of the NFL. Of course, yeah. There, there is pressure that comes with that. There is expectations, and and look, it, it's Terry. You've seen it. You're a season ticket ticket holder. They're starting to get antsy. And this is this is like the Canadians have never had trouble filling an arena, uh, and now I and, gave away I gave away games last year. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. I think the biggest thing for them to do a rebuild, if they're going to do it, they got to be upfront. They can't do this thing like we did the past couple years where they're, well, we we're kind of rebuilding, but we don't want to give up too much. And they're trying to play this balancing act where they're trying to do two things at once. 
if they go up front and say, this is what we're doing, we're going to move players, we're going to start this from the ground up, I think you'd get more ground support for that. If you kind of do this thing where you waffle on it and nothing really gets accomplished, like you do a little bit here and a little bit there, but you don't actually commit to it, you'll never get the support behind that because you're just splitting everything in half trying to do it. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't, don't half-ass it. That's the thing is in Montreal, they, they, they'll never be allowed to because the second it looks like a tank or the second it looks like they're stripping it all down, the, the media just goes nuts. And I've seen constantly where they make moves at times just to make a move, just to show, well, we're trying. We're, we, we did try a thing. It didn't work. Yeah, and sometimes you can't just make a move for the sake of making a move. Like, sometimes it works out, I guess. But, like, if you don't, if you go into these things and you don't have a plan in mind, you're never going to get anywhere because you don't know what the hell is going on. It's like, well, why did you trade this player for this player? Well, we had to do something. Yeah, but why? Why? You have to have a support behind that and a reason behind that. Have a goal in mind. Don't just do it to, ah, eh, screw it. Well, we need to do something. So give me a fifth round pick and we'll say we did something. That That's not how you build up a rebuild or, you know, fix a team. That's how you make things worse down the road, So I guess. So the season the season's up in the air now. Sorry, please, you want to go? No, no, go ahead. Speaking of doing something just to do something, the NHL season's a little bit still kind of up in the air. Um, the rumors of the Canadian conference division thing, is that going to be a problem for, for Montreal in general if you got to play the other big teams, like the teams in the West especially? I don't think so. I forget who put it out on Twitter, but I believe the Canadians had one of the best records, not – uh, just among Canadian teams against other Canadian teams. I think they were like 8-3-2 and two against them last season. And I look at some of the way these teams are trending. Winnipeg is trending downwards. As good as they could be, they aren't. Um, Vancouver lost a lot of key pieces and still have flaws in their team. Uh, the Oilers, I mean, are, you know, it's McDavid and Dreisaitl, so you got to contend with that. But the Canadians have had Toronto's number for the past two years now and have beaten them. I think it's going to be competitive, but I think Montreal has the depth and now the goaltending depth, especially to be able to compete with a lot of these teams. I look at the Canadian division across the board has good teams, but flawed teams. And Montreal is right there with, I think they can easily compete with who I think Toronto and either Calgary or Edmonton are going to be two of the top teams coming out of this. I think they can be right there with them. And I think they can beat teams like Vancouver and Winnipeg and obviously the Senators fairly easily because they have the depth to roll over these teams right now and they're just better constructed across the board. But Scott, so, like, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, um, and last season, of course, was a, a perversion given what's happened in 2020, uh, but the at some point, isn't there the fear that, like, well, Toronto will just get it right? Like, they have, a, they have all this insane amount of talent and it just doesn't seem to work out. But isn't there just the, the, the thought that, well, at some point, it's all going to click for everyone and they're going to be something to contend with? I mean, that's absolutely true. But there was a stretch from uh, when Mike Babcock took over in Toronto that Toronto lost like 15 straight games to the Canadians, I'm pretty sure. And now look at this past season. Toronto was miles better than the Canadians and could not beat them to save their life. And that you look at a young team like Toronto who's constantly frustrated that they can't get over that first round hump or they can't get over their certain boogeyman and they beat themselves. You know, Kasperi Kapanen throwing his stick at Jeff Petrie, uh, the Ilya Kovalchuk overtime game. Just every time they played, Toronto found a way to beat themselves and give Montreal that chance to beat them. 
And a lot of that is just mental maturity. And you look at Toronto this year, they didn't make the playoffs and the Canadians did. And you got to figure that's got to be eating at them now. There's so much pressure on this core. You see articles about John Tavares potentially being a terrible contract and overpaid, despite being arguably their most consistent player. You hear tons of stuff about trading William Nylander or Mitch Marner needs to go. There's so much pressure on this team that eventually either they get it right or they crack and they're tending more towards the cracking side of things than getting it right. Freddie Anderson's still their goalie and he's had up and down seasons. Their defense still doesn't wow me across the board. It's awful. And that thing is they added, you know, uh, TJ Brody, I think is a nice ad, but the rest of the defense is it's Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley trying to do their best. And then it's a bunch of, Hopefully this guy turns out. But goes and in the world. It, it's just yeah. It, it they could do and then they went out this offseason. They got Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton and like Jimmy Vesey. They got older and slower in that, oh well, these guys are gonna play depth roles and be helpful on the power play and this and that. You have how many over not overpaid, but highly paid forwards. If you need to go out and pay Joe Thornton, who's, you know, 75 years old, to fix your power play, you have deeper issues on your team than needing a third-line center. And also, and also, like, the idea, given Joe Thornton's history, and I know it's been somewhat rectified, but you're bringing Joe Thornton to help you get past the first round of the playoffs? Like, <laughs> not that stigma of Joe Thornton forever? Uh, it's like uh, I look at Joe Thornton's history. Look at who chased him out of Boston the first time. That was the Canadians and Saku Koivu who yeah. got Joe Thornton traded out of Boston. So you're going to send him back to their other rival and hope that it works out when they've got an up-and-coming Finnish center who's going to be matched up against him. I, History I repeats see, itself. <laughs> of course, yeah. I just don't I just don't see Toronto doing anything anything in the next few years if they keep it up. I'm looking at their cap it now. They have $33 million, 30, we'll say almost $40 million in four players. So, I mean, it's just not, it's not going to work out. It's really, if they need to get rid of one of them, who's it going to be? Or just, they have to realize that they, they need to be extremely good at scouting guys that nobody knows and nobody's willing to pay. Joel Thornton at 700K is just another Jason Spezza to me. As much as I love Jumbo, he's great, but he's not going to be able to run your power play. He might give you a few flashes here and there, nice passes. The guy's great. I love him. He's a locker room guy. He maybe he'll bring it all together, and maybe they'll be able to get that past the first round, and then see maybe their talent will be able to drag them there. Because as soon as you get to the second round, third round, that's where your your top line starts. That's like that's the line, right? So if like you're only going to see them for a long time, and then and then you rely on other guys, uh, your your depth to maybe just like kind of keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. But I just don't see this happening. This team lacks something. There's something there that they're missing. And defensively, they're just, they're out to lunch. And not not necessarily the players. The players are exactly what we think they are, but the Leafs are overrating them. And I think that's, it's in part, I mentioned it before about the Habs media, but Toronto media too. I mean, TSN, we'll call it. They overhyped this team to a point where they, they actually drank the Kool-Aid. The Leafs drank the Kool-Aid of the media. And they think that now they're contenders, but they're not because they're they're top heavy. I look at this team and they have the skill and talent that they can't possibly fail, but they also can't succeed with the way this roster is set up. It's awful. They're never going to be bad enough to bottom out, but they're not. They they have on paper the offensive talent to be incredible. They lack everything behind that to fully make it worthwhile. Is that I think Morgan Riley is a good player. I think Jake yeah. Muzzin's a good player. I think Rasmus Sandin and um, 
the hell is his name? The guy, um, I'm forgetting their other uh, Finnish or Swedish defenseman, Timothy Lilligren. I think they can be good pieces, but they're not there yet. They're hoping that these guys become what they need, and right now they're not there, and they're still hoping. And you look at their big four, eventually something's got to give. And like you said, I don't think it'll be Matthews. I don't think it'll be Tavares. I think it'll be one of Marner or Nylander that eventually they go, we got to do something. And we talk about not making moves just to make moves. That screams, we're making a move to do something so everyone gets off our backs. And yeah, it's it gonna probably be is, it's going to be worse. They're going to be worse off for it, except yeah, for their cap hit. I think it's going to be Marner. They really do. Even, After- even, even with Nylander's age, you think it will be Marner? Wait, he's only a couple years older than Marner is. Okay. He's only a couple I- years older than Marner. I, I, well, I, I know that Nylander is the well. Okay, Tavares is the oldest of the group, but he's also not Tavares. But the I thought I thought that because Nylander had those couple of years, you know, on Marner, that that would be the target. But I could be wrong. No, I, I think, think it, it's going to be Marner because he has a bigger market on him. Sorry, Scott, go. I was going to say, trading Nylander to me is the big mistake because his contract is the best out of the four of them. He yeah. provides so much for so much less than what everyone else is. And I think Marner is a very good player. I do not think Marner is, is an $11 million player. He's not a center. He is, you know, playing with Matthews and playing with John Tavares. So naturally, he's going to get all these points because they're the ones doing everything down the middle. That whole contract negotiation was her. If I was a Leafs fan, I would have pulled out whatever hair I had left dealing with all that. But I think Marner is overpaid by at least a couple million dollars for what he provides. And I still think that Nyland will be the first to go, and then it'll be Marner, and then who knows? If I'd be shocked if any team right now, with the way the cap crunches come in, looks at Marner and go, yeah, we can afford that because you're going to give up so many futures for it, and then you're going to sacrifice a huge chunk of your cap space for it too. I love I love talks about hockey money because as a basketball fan, when I hear $11 million is too much, it's like, that's like the seventh guy on an NBA roster. Um, Scott, I have a, one hard-hitting question before we let you go. Um, it, it's Look, if, if you're not comfortable with it, uh, I understand completely, but do you go real tree or fake tree for Christmas? Uh, I haven't done a real tree in a couple of years, unfortunately. Work has not allowed me to do that, but... We talked about Buffalo. I'm actually moving in the spring, and uh, my girlfriend and I both talked about the first year that we actually do full Christmas there. We were going out. We were getting a live tree and hoping that both cats or the dog decide to not make a mess of it in the living room. Well, we got to do two things, Terry. We got to go break into Scott's place, uh, yeah. put it on Christmas tree so that he's got Christmas yeah. spirit. Um, and then when he uh, goes on, moves to Buffalo, uh, there is an exceptional casino there, so we definitely need to go out and visit Scott. Uh, Scott Matla, uh, of course, joining us from, uh, he's the senior writer of Habs, I am the prize and the co-host for Lockdown Canadians. Thank you for joining us, Scott. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This was a ton of fun. Hopefully be back soon. For yeah, sure. hopefully. And if you're ever in Montreal, uh, Habs tickets on me. Yeah. Absolutely, man. On all this content. I will definitely take you up on that. I have, I owe my girlfriend a trip to Montreal and a Mapule poutine. So there you go. Perfect. I put him, you know what? He's not even from Montreal, and he nailed one of the best poutines in Montreal. I love that That's place, true. man. I absolutely love that place. <laughs> all right, Scott. Thank you for joining us. Talk to you soon. Thank bud. you, guys. This show is brought to you by Mike's BBQ Rub, home of the best rubs in town, and La Salle's barbecue sauce, please. Absolutely. They will get you satisfied in 12 seconds or less, just like Rick Pitino at that restaurant. 
So visit Mike's BBQ Rub, MTL.com, and use Hot Sauce 10 promo code for 10% off on all individual bottles. That's Hot Sauce 10 for 10% off. And peas, don't forget to rub your meat. All right, boys, rapid fire time. Let's start with the first one here. Cheeseheads. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling of the Green Bay Packers uh, says he has received death threats after he fumbled on the one of the plays in the overtime game that led to the loss on the I think it was was it the night game was it the afternoon it was the afternoon game it was the afternoon game yeah yeah so I wrote a blog about this and it's it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous we saw with Chris Carson and how he responded to his guys like to his fans like talking shit to him because he. He ruined their fantasy season because he got injured and he wouldn't play or whatever it is. Now Marquez Valdez County, he obviously he's he's also the reason why they got to overtime. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, yeah, a lot of these people don't even realize. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. And then okay, he fumbles the ball. He's a fucking human. It happens. Be mad. Be mad. Criticize your team. That's fine. What the fuck is the point to to threaten someone's life because of a football falling to the floor? And, and the thing is, I can't imagine any of these people who would deal with criticism of making a mistake at their job the same way. Like imagine, imagine Sally, the stripper falls on her pole and gets death threats by, by people at the, at the strip club or uh, Johnny misfiles something and, and, and puts it in the wrong file. And he gets, he gets like lit up by someone at work and someone works like, you know what? You put this with the L's, you should go with the Q's. Fuck you. I wish you were dead. That's insane. That is insane. Um, and on top of that, Terry, on top of that, what a reference. Friday, Friday in Wisconsin, there was a shooting. How can you have such little self-awareness that after your, your community is already dealing with this, that you're shooting death threats to a professional athlete? Get fucked. Next. Second, second shooting, right? Oh, well, second, I mean, we had the George Floyd thing. I mean, just yeah. in Wisconsin, just, you know, read Thank the rules. Uh, oldies but goodies. In a battle for the senior weight title, you have Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. coming up this weekend. What do you guys think of the fight? Peace. Did you know that this is happening this weekend? I did actually. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a six. It's an eight round fight. Two minutes each round. No headgear. You can't. No, you can't knock the person out. Which I don't know what that means. Like, are you not going to throw punches? Like, I don't think Mike Tyson knows how to punch somebody without knocking them out. Um, and and there's there's no um, no cuts allowed. So if you get cut or you get knocked out, the fight's over. There's no real winner at the end. There's they get the there's a belt. I forgot what it's called, but it has Black Lives Matter written on it, and it's just like a whole promotion for that, which is fine. But it's just it's a weird thing. But it, 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 the, the way they hype this fucking fight has been unbelievable. The reason why is because all I've been watching is Mike Tyson training videos, and I shit my pants every time I watch it. So <laughs> it does. It does, especially because Mike Tyson's involved. It seems a little squishy, but it is. It is for charity. It's not going to be a good fight, uh, especially if this goes to like round six, seven, eight. It, you're going to see two. It's going to go all eight rounds. Go yeah, well, eight. they don't have the stamina, Terry. Like, like that's the thing is. Boxing is so so tough if you're not in absolute physical. Uh, you absolute physical. Oh, no, they're they're both in great shape. Yeah, but it's different. It's different. Like, but it's the, not like they're fighting against Tyson Fury. They're fighting against another guy that's just as old as you are. Yeah, it, Roy Jones Jr. is probably in better shape. What well, was in better shape coming into this than Tyson was, but Tyson now is in a much better shape than Roy Jones is. And, and the thing is, we you know boxing is in a is in a tough spot when. Um, they have legitimate names in their heavyweight division for the first time in a long time, and yet people are still more excited to see Tyson fight. You well, know, what I mean? 
a, re- a reason for that is because the um, the heavyweight division was great for like a couple years, and now it's back to shit because everybody just wants to get paid, so nobody's fighting each other anymore. And it's just it's a, it's a real it's a reason why boxing is so garbage. Next, dude, where's my car? Um, this past week during the Las Vegas Raiders game, there was a particular still of Derek Carr that has now become the newest meme trend on the internet. Um, why do you guys like this picture so much, and why does he remind you of The Undertaker? <laughs> I was kind of looking up. Looks like he's rolling his eyes. I was going to say uh, it looks like when people leave the dishes in the sink at work or when someone leaves something in the microwave at work. That's my that's my reaction right there every time. Uh, that's my reaction when I'm waiting on somebody at the self-checkout and they still can't figure out that you need to press start on the machine to start the self-checkout. So they're trying to scan everything, but it's not working. But then if you just look at the screen, it says click here to start, but they don't know that. That's my face. This Ooh. is my face when Pease fucks up the countdown every show. That's fair. That's fair. Um also, also my face when because now that there's arrows in grocery stores and people are walking against the arrows, it fucks with my OCD. That's my face when I see someone coming down the wrong way of the aisle at the grocery store. <laughs> why? Why right. do we have two grocery store references? Because we're fat. Because we're both yeah, we like food and we eat a lot. Oh, oh last one real quick. When you're standing in line at the bank and the person's already got their money and then they're just standing there looking at something like, bro, you're gonna buy the bank? Get out! Get out! <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> friendliest watermelon roll. Uh, Cowboys coach Mike McCarthy recently smashed a watermelon with a sledgehammer prior to their team's win against the Minnesota Vikings as a way to inspire and encourage his team to get the W. Um, strategically awesome or a waste of a watermelon? Terry, Terry, did you ever uh, eat at Friendly's? Did I ever eat at Friendly's? Of course I've eaten at Friendly's. Did you ever have the watermelon roll? The, the, I don't think I had the watermelon roll. It's it's a it's a, it's a watermelon sorbet. It's it looks like a watermelon eagle. If you can get a picture while I'm describing it, um, the seeds are uh, chocolate chips. It is just sugar on a plate. It is delicious. I could. That's all I could think of every time. Every time uh, I was saw anything about the story, I read about the story. Look, he's got to do something. Um, there it is. Wow, it is a beauty. What is that? That is the friendlies watermelon roll right there. I want it. As you should. As you should. Um, so when I saw this, I was like, look, he's got to do something because it's not like Mike McCarthy can actually coach. So maybe maybe <laughs> this is around for the Cowboys. You know what? I can't wait. I can't wait for him to get fired from the Cowboys and then somehow become the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins so you can feel the pain that me and Eagle feel. I mean, because yeah. I'm so happy with what they're doing. And like that's that's the point where I legitimately give up on Miami as a city. And last uh, rapid fire for today, it's the turkey power ranking. So, guys, we need to rank our side dishes for Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm going to go first. I love the stuffing just by itself, like in a bowl. I'll scoop uh, it out and just eat best. straight from that. Oh, that wait, was wait, mine. Wait. That was mine. Am I going next? Our ranking or like a draft? Draft, draft. We'll do draft. Okay, okay so two rounds, snake. You go Eagle, Terry, me, and then me again, and back to Eagle. How's that? Right, Eagle. Yeah. So I'm I'm going with the stuffing straight up. It's mine. I'm going. Nothing I'm going. I'm going yams, but sweet potatoes. So sweet potato mash with, but like the crust on top there, like the breaded crust on top that you put to broil in the in the oven. 
That's what I want. Which and it's sweet with a little bit of honey, maybe a maple syrup on it. That's that's not bad, Terry. I think I think you just reached in that pick. I think that could have been you would have had that coming around the backside. I'm gonna go cheesy mashed potatoes. Wow. Cheesy mashed potatoes where like it's just a whole big gooey mess of fat and starch. It's delicious. <laughs> um, if you're, you know, we talked about it earlier in the interview. If you're a gravy guy, you can add some gravy on that. If not, delicious by itself and great for leftovers too. Um, then, okay, man, okay, so you guys, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go mac and cheese, and if you can slice some bacon in there too, uh, you can't go wrong with mac and cheese. Get some hot sauce on the mac and cheese. I think Terry, you could have gone mac and cheese. You could have got the yams on the way back. I don't I know. Was- yams that quickly i i missed uh you know i made a mistake because i i was gonna go mac and cheese as my second one i was hoping that you would go something a little fattier i was gonna go mac and cheese uh but i do i mean I, we're not gonna be considered like so my, my side i like stuffing but my side that i like is also we make like a roast beef that's we're pretty much my side but we kind of mash it up it's, it's not because we have the turkey that's the main so like if you if you have like a steak in a steakhouse do you get like a turkey as a side like I, I mean, if your main is your side, if your main is your steak, then yeah, you have a side turkey. Eagle, fix this, please. What's your side? What's your last side? Uh, so this is gonna be a little bit of a twist, okay? Uh, I've, besides having you know like a little like loaf of bread to go along with the meal, I'm gonna up that a little bit. I'm gonna go with a sweet cornbread side, mm-hmm. right? So what? besides having all the richness of all the other stuff, you also have this cornbread. sweet. Type of texture, honey, kind of a cornbread that you can kind of have with it. I just—it's one of those things. That every time I go down to the south, you have to have. My uh, my wife is celebrating and uh, cheering you on from from a distance, Eags. Um, so that's it. That's rapid fire. It's uh, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving! I can't believe I have to work this week. Uh, really sad about it. Um, I had to come do a show. It was terrible. Um, Terry, thank you for everything you've done today. You were awesome. Uh, Eagle, you were very mediocre. Uh, Scott Matla, he was incredible. Absolutely enjoyed talking to him. Uh, you can enjoy listening to him as well as us on a weekly basis, but do remember to subscribe. Uh, leave us a review, even if it's terrible. I'll love it. Uh, so review us, rate us, give us zero stars. The more zero stars, the better. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely do subscribe. That's all we care about because more than anything else, we love money. Ivan Pease and... You've been listening to Hot Sauce. Did it work? It worked! Show's over.